Good morning, everyone. This is the Dulcimer Geek Podcast. I'm Dan Landrum. Yes, you are. It is. It's Dan Landrum, everybody. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> That's Aaron O'Rourke right there, and I'm Stephen Seifert. Right. Thanks for uh, hanging out with us this morning. We're going to get on with the uh, weather here in just a little bit, but first, why um, do you keep hmm? why do you keep doing that? You you feel we're laxing into just filling time? So why it's you keep funny saying you use the word lax? Did you see this product in the and uh, the pharmacy called Dulcy Lax. Have you seen this? No. That's the name of it, dude. It's a, like a sweet, sweet laxative. Lax, yeah. And if you think about it, as much as we like to jam, we do end up sitting on seats quite a bit at these festivals, so some kind of stool softener seems like a great way to go. I don't think that's what stool softeners do. <laughs> well, I figured it was just for people who jam a lot, you know. Wow. Huh. That's... Not interesting on multiple levels. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, I think that, he, you know, we do like to notice when the word dulcimer or parts of the word come up and, and you know, around us. And I think it deserves at least a mention. Uh, so Dulcy Lacks, ladies and gentlemen, have a, have a, just a, a look into that. Hey, boys. I just got back from the Glen Rose Festival. Oh, oh my yeah. goodness. Is that fun? Uh, I want to talk about a couple of things there. I know you guys have some subjects as well, but... They do something there that, as an as a performer, instructor, teacher, I thought was fantastic. They have a, a place that's called the Hangout, which classes are taught in there too, uh, and not everybody can do this. I understand, but like many festivals, they take care of our meals while we're there, right? Okay. But what they do is stock this kitchen with food. Oh, that's nice. great. And somebody had made a brisket, and you don't know, have the brisket in the refrigerator, and there were some little quiches in there that someone had made, and they had lunch meat and cereals and decent coffee, and you just took care of yourself when you needed to take care of yourself. Nice. That was the best ever. Yeah. What do you think about that, Steve? It sounds good. I, I know it's summer camp. The um, You know, if you've ever been to summer camp, sometimes you sneak into the kitchen in the middle of the night. <laughs> and uh so we had a deal worked out where the chef put stuff out for us so that you know the kids didn't realize what was going on but the chef did tell us if you eat anything that's not on that table i will kill all of you <laughs> you know it okay. reminds me of that wow. yeah anyway it was just a really nice because you know how it is for us well, you think you're going to go do something and you get stopped on the way to go we do have it, it and- so hard no, not it's not that at all, but it's like we're emergency room doctors in a sense, you know. You sort of have to just respond because you've got a limited amount of time and somebody may really need to talk to you right, right now or you might need to help somebody with something or less consequential know. emergency room doctors. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very less. Yeah, far less consequential. But it allows you to kind of be on your own schedule and and you know how it is also, let's say you've you're performing tonight, you don't want to have to go eat from six to seven and then be ready to play at seven thirty. Right. And you may not want to eat at all before that. You might want to eat afterwards or whatever. Or you have sound check and all that. It was just the coolest setup. Nice. Yeah. So do you think that setup allowed you to, to have some time to rehearse yes. uh, with some other with some guests? Because yes. I, I saw the video of you that was really cool. 
you're playing with the two other hammer dulcimer players. What were their names? That's the uh, those two were Christopher and Luke, the Vandeveer ba- family band, Vandeveer brother band. Have you met those guys, Steve? No, I uh, maybe. Oh yeah, down you, yeah, actually I did. It, uh, I think yeah. at Lloyd Wright's festival. That's that's probably where you met them. As a matter of fact, those kids have got it going on. And they're not just hammered dulcimer players. Both of those guys play mountain dulcimer too. I know, thank God. And they're and they're oh. decent, and uh, they play guitar and bass and keyboard and just all this stuff. And they're doing really cool music. Cool. So it was funny. They were uh, excited to meet me, which always is funny. <laughs> Anybody would be, but the reason is even more interesting in that one of them is a Yanni fan. Oh, and. In their set, they played a Yanni piece. Oh wow! That they had arranged, you know, for for their instruments, which was really interesting. I'd never seen anybody do that. So anyway, uh, the the YouTube or Facebook clip that you saw was us playing "Old Gray Cat," and the reason that was significant, and I wanted to do that with those two boys. Is because that's the song that Yanni stole from me and renamed as World Dance that we did as one of the encores and is on the Yanni live video. Well, where's Old so, Greg Cat from? I don't know if it's old time or if it's Irish, Steve. Do you know? It might, I guess it seems Irishy. It seems. Can you tell by. I mean, it's very modal. If you just used. If they said you can only use two chords, you'd be fine in that because it's an E and a D, E minor and a D. Does that give you a clue? No. And it's very similar to like ships are sailing. Aaron, could you please ask Dan what he means by modal? Dan, what you mean by modal? (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those things that falls nicely on a diatonic instrument. Because if you're in the key of D, all the notes in the key of D work, but you really only need two chords. One is starting from the D and doing the do re mi fa sol la ti do scale, and the second is starting. Well, Britney from Spears, the e. whoops, I did it again, or whatever. I believe we could call that modal. Then is it? It's ionic. <laughs> it's an uh, ionic pentameter. <laughs> no, you're right. It Toxic, doesn't. though, you can't call you, mo- Well, mo- I think that I was wrong just now because the chorus descends. It starts on the minor chord and descends chromatically. Somebody wrote me and said, I want to thank you for stopping the theory discussion in the podcast oh, really? the other day. But oh, it's, that's funny. Um, but some, I, I also had theory. someone write and said they appreciated your explanation. Oh, well. I mean, I, mean, I it think was good. I bet you we got opinions on both sides of that, so we're doing let, let me, fine. There's something about that that kind of reminds me of um, uh, who's is it Samuel Johnson, who wrote the uh, uh, Dictionary of the English Language. You guys know about no, that? No, no. And he was congratulated by... Uh, all sorts of factions and, and groups of people and a group of women in London came and said, uh, we want to congratulate you on leaving out all of the unpleasant words. Yeah. <laughs> and he said something along the lines of, well, I would like to congratulate you and your persistence in looking them all up. <laughs> oh, that's very good. Well, the person who wrote and said you, I want to clarify, they weren't talking about me, they were talking about you, Steve, that... It's a good thing that you interrupted and kept on with your explanation because you made it clear. Job, I don't know Steve. if that's true. 
well, that's was true to them. And it was Ann Bowman, as a matter of fact, our, our friend in New Zealand. Okay. Well, hello. Yeah. I was pretty sure she was from Australia. Uh-oh. <laughs> Listen, I think that's who <laughs> she is. Yeah. She's from Thanks. Australia, and she's the one who wrote me as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. Hey, Les, can I tell a story? Do it. A, a flying home story? Mm-hmm. So, you know how you are after you've... You know, been to a festival, you're kind of looking forward to a little quiet time, maybe. <laughs> You've been entertaining. Well, I get on the plane, and I think this was about the worst nightmare, but I suspect you'll one-up me, Steve, or, or maybe you, Aaron. But I noticed that there was a, an elderly gentleman who was quite talkative when we were all waiting to get on the plane and kind of engaging people left and right. Didn't think anything of it. And when I got on the plane, he was my seat partner and it's a small plane coming from uh, Dallas to Chattanooga so I, I had the window seat and I sat next to him and as I crawled over him to get to my seat he was he was talking to me constantly and just and you're pretty the chatty word, so that huh you're pretty chatty and I'm pretty chatty and I enjoy a good controversial discussion as much as anybody and he's he used the words politically incorrect and political correctness and these fools and young people today. <laughs> and you just started filling in the blanks for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite a few times in just the first 60 seconds. And then he told, he also what came out of his mouth was, I'm not going to say where he lived, but it's not far from here. And it's kind of, it's renowned for some things. And I'm not going to talk oh, about for that goodness either. Sorry. Sake. Well, anyway, you'll, you'll get this. He then told about some very tragic things that happened in his life and in his family's life (laughs) that he was coming back from uh, Louisiana. This was a a second flight for him where he had gone to make peace with his father who, from whom he was estranged. And at one point in the conversation with his father, he's shown me all this with hand motions. He had to choke him and shake him back and forth and say you have you aren't really having a seizure because you can still talk (laughs) so this is all like in the first minute this is a terrible story keep going oh i know (laughs) no but it's a real it's really what happened and then he says i don't think kids these days even know who thomas Paine was do you know who thomas Paine was and by this point i'm like yes sir (laughs) He pulled out his pocket constitution and his uh, pocket copy of Common Sense and I think his Bill of Rights. Yeah, the, the Rights of Man. Now listen. Yeah, the Rights of Man. You're yeah. laughing about Young this stuff, don't. which we're going to have to deal with. Well, it's going to change. Wait, really the story's about to shift. The, podcast? the story's about to shift. We're almost done with this part. And it's at this point in the conversation I realize the only good. I've already decided I'm not having this conversation. Because it's just too complicated. And this is a sweet old man, and I'm not going to do this. I think this. you're an ageist. So all it, if he had been 40, it would have been the same thing. So I decided at that moment my answers were all going to be, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of channeled Aaron O'Rourke there just a little is bit. There a way, is there a way that you and I could get to a place where all of your responses to me are the same? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You're going to like where this story goes. And so I said that, and then I put in my earphones and I leaned back and closed my eyes. And so the conversation ended then about that time we haven't left yet. We haven't pulled out of the 
of the you know where you board the plane. What do you call that? What do you call that area? What? When you get on the plane, what's that called? You're not anyway. The the oh, plane the plane hadn't like disconnected and taxied out yet. <clears throat> they made an announcement they were about to, and about that time, the guy in the seat behind me stands up and opens up the overhead the luggage thing and starts messing around. And they come on the thing and say, "We are unable to taxi because." A passenger is standing up and has the luggage compartment open. <laughs> and this guy slams the luggage compartment. Boom! Really loud. And he goes, if they didn't want people in the luggage compartment, they need to not close the cabin doors until all the customers are ready to go. And I'm thinking, oh, no, we've got one of those behind us. So he sits down. <laughs> and my, this is my quiet time now. He sits down. And he's complaining about that. Starts complaining to the person in the seat next to him. Clearly not someone he knows who has this strong Brooklyn accent. And I'm not against Brooklyn accents, but I'm just throwing that in to color this story a little bit. You're a bigot. They start, they start, <laughs> they start talking to each other about stuff and just getting acquainted. And I'm like, oh, these guys are getting really buddy-buddy. And she turns out what her job is, she's a, uh, a handler for reality TV stars. Oh, really? She was... Yes, she was on her way to Chattanooga where some of her clients were taping dance moms, which is apparently the lowest form of reality television there is. Aaron, can you comment on that? I mean, mob wives get gets near <laughs> close. Uh. <laughs> so my my relaxing time was for an hour and 45 minutes hearing her tell stories of... Uh, working with all these stars and moms and how awful these people are, but how, how much they love them. And anyway, that's the end of the story. So, so wait, you're telling us he, she handled him or something. Oh no, no, no. They, those two, I think ended up in love (laughs) by by the end of the story. Yeah. Yeah. There's really no moral to this story. I'm just (laughs) wanted to share. (laughs) Um, Let's see. I mean, there could be a moral to this story. Oh, I doubt if, that. If you stretch it, like, oh, it's, um, oh, like, you don't have to do uh, this, Aaron. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, just because you try and start a fight on an airplane doesn't mean you're gonna go viral necessarily. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that guy was was looking for something. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought, oh man, he wants someone to come back here and try to drag him off the plane. Yeah. Steady met his match. <laughs> We're not saying that we know that's what happened in other cases, but if someone wants to go viral uh, for any reason, a, a good start might be to try and start a start something on, on a plane. plane. I yeah. Think. yeah. Now we don't. I, we're not planning this. We're not endorsing. Or endorsing that. or advising this. <laughs> you don't like, want to be the second dulcimer player to go viral in that way. Now, Dan, a little plane. bit ago when you got really loud. Do you have a compressor pre-input on, on this? Yes, I do. Really? You have an external yeah, compressor? Yeah, this PreSonus interface that I have. It has, has a, a comp- compressor on each channel. Before the preamp stage. Yeah, it's built It's built into the preamp. Before. Huh. That's what it's there for, is to prevent clipping. <clears throat> well, but it's before... <laughs> I don't know. I haven't. So I'm. 
Yes, because that's why they put them in there. But I haven't physically taken it apart to see if they're lying to us. Hmm. Well, so. these dulcimers, uh, I think these dulcimers, these eyes, da 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 da. That's what I'm thinking about. <laughs> but can we let's get back to dulcimers? Yeah. Actually, I've got a question about uh, Glen Rose. Okay. There is you that go. an all dulcimer festival or is it a dulcimer slash old time festival? Like I, some of them are out in Texas. It's just it's called the Glen Rose Dulc- Lone Star Dulcimer. Oh, okay. Festival. There's a lot of However, dulcimers going on, but there's a lot of other stuff, right? There's a lot of other stuff down there too. Yeah. Okay. Hey, How did they get- structure the workshops? <laughs> That's kind of neat too. Yeah. Uh, Dana said, "Hey, we'd like for you to teach one workshop." We don't really care what it is. We don't have to put a title on it. We'd just like for you to do whatever you want to do uh-huh. when you're here. And you teach the best workshop you've ever done that way, I think. It was it was just such a cool laid-back festival. And mm-hmm. you play a lot. You perform a lot. But mm-hmm. that's why we do what we do. It seems yeah. like some of the Texas festivals, <coughs> they really put a, they put a lot of value on you being available for jamming. And they like to see people get together for the performances, you know, and surprising little duets and combos. And I appreciate in, that. I do too. In the performance, you'll you'll like this, Steve. I've been kind of based on what we talked about last week, and just my own practice. I've been working on trying to trying to be able to play around the cycle. And I know we don't want to get back into theory again, but I've been working on playing you know, different chord progressions around the cycle. And Margaret Wright and I improvised minors all the way around the cycle a couple of times on stage without ever, without even practicing it. Hmm. That's pretty cool, huh? I've been learning how to play with my feet lately, honestly. (laughs) Hey, I was impressed by, by her playing and her, she just like, is fearless. Margaret seems. Wright is yeah. awesome. Um, people, if you have a festival, bring in Margaret Wright because there's two things she's very good at. She's a trained uh, music teacher. She's she's good with theory. She's all she knows how to read and write music clearly. But as good as she is at that, she's even better at playing by ear. And I think she's really good at talking to a group of people and doing both with them. I think she's one of the few that's really, I think, good at both. And she Mm -hmm. appreciates when one is helpful and when the other is. And She's a jammer. You want to hire somebody? You want to hire an instructor who's going to jam everybody until they pass out? You know, it's Margaret Wright. She is fantastic. She's sweet. She's intelligent. She's a lioness. I think she's great. Yeah, I was yeah. Uh, not. I shouldn't say that I was surprised. I just didn't really know, you know, much of Margaret. Mm-hmm. But we did a couple of things on stage. Never rehearsed. We never played together. I just talked to her, and, and she was like, "Yes, I can do that." <laughs> it's like, okay. So I even brought up something else on stage. And the first time around, you could tell she was figuring it out. But you know that feeling when you've got a bass player that's not figuring it out anymore. It's like I've got this. How the song just, I mean, it's such an important part. You just feel really confident. And you could tell, yeah. you know, one time around, she's like. Oh, so was she playing bass? She played bass, yeah. Oh, okay. But she's, yeah. 
I don't know what I, I would say her main instrument's dulcimer, but she's prob she's pretty competent on a lot lot of instruments, yeah. I think. Yeah. So that was that was cool. Uh, Lloyd with, Lloyd was there. Lloyd and Hollis. Yeah, I got to meet Lloyd. That's right. Was Hollis there? Yes. Hollis is a blast. Sweetheart. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it was all around a good good. Terry uh, McCafferty festival. told me that you and him talked for a couple hours. You and we he there. talked. Sorry about that. Would you edit yeah. that out? Uh, Terry nope. McCafferty told me that you and he <laughs> talked for a couple hours. Have you noticed how many podcasts a guest will be on and a guest will do something two or three times and he'll say, you can edit that, and they'll go, yeah. Right. <laughs> and they always leave it in. Right. <laughs> it happens a lot. It happens on the Big Boy podcast, too. So. Yeah. So and sure, Steve, you bet. Terry <laughs> did enjoy meeting you, and I said... What did I say? I said, um, I said something like, Dan is very active. And Terry was like, he is very active. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't know why very that active. came up, but you're an active person. Well, why not, man? This is, this is good stuff. I appreciate I like being you alive. being active. I think that's one of your more redeeming qualities. <laughs> <laughs> good. Thank you. What are some of the less redeeming qualities? <laughs> They're that's, not that bad. Let's change the subject. <laughs> yeah. Dan's worst qualities aren't that bad. Oh, mine, on the other hand, are very similar to mine. So I don't know. <laughs> As a follow up to our Getting Things Done podcast, uh, I didn't jinx it. Our having talked about it still hasn't messed it up. I'm into like two and a half months. It of, jinxed it for nice. me. No. My big goal this morning after the podcast is to. Um, Definitely do my big review. Got to, got to, got to. Steve, if you get started on those dailies, that'll change your life. Well. Really? Really? And Aaron's starting to use uh, OmniFocus now, by the way. I've got a friend here in town using OmniFocus, so we should have a big party. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe so. Oh, hey, back to Glen Rose for just a moment. Uh, I, I went into Deb Porter's ukulele class. Yeah. And... She and I wasn't going to bother them, but she started talking to me, and I said, "Hey, can I ask your class a question?" And there were twenty-five to thirty of them in there. Yeah. And so I did a just a unscientific survey about how many of those people in that ukulele class play either hammered dulcimer or mountain dulcimer. And I would say all but about six of them played mountain dulcimer. And probably only about six of them played hammer dulcimer, but they were all in this ukulele class. Yeah, so what, what's asked, your thought there? I asked them what they would think about dulcimer players' news beginning to carry ukulele articles, and they applauded. Hmm. I just realized you went into the ukulele class at a dulcimer festival right. and yeah. asked how they would feel about ukulele being in dulcimer players news. That's a little bit like as town council going into Domino's pizza and asking how the people there would feel about having pizza for everyone in the budget. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's true. It's, but well, I'll it's, tell you, I, I bring that up yeah. for a reason there's and, and it's what you brought up also, or one of you guys, about whether this is mostly a dulcimer festival or not. Kind of doesn't matter anymore, uh, and I think that's good for the instrument. That's one of the reasons the uh, the ODPC, the Everett Festival, is so much fun. It's because there's so much other stuff going on there too. 
Yeah, my first week-long camp this year is uh, teaching at uh, Steve Kaufman's Old Time That's so great. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. So he has different themed weeks. Well, he has two weeks. He's got Old Time and he's got Bluegrass. Now, call me crazy, but I think you would fit really well in the Bluegrass one. Call me crazy. I was kind of thinking that, too. Not that it matters. Call me crazy I mean, or... You're yeah. going to get dulcimer people that come f- to see you, I would imagine, regardless. We'll see. Um, Sarah Morgan uh, did it the the previous two years, and she said that the dulcimer players who she encountered there, um, she hadn't actually run into the bulk of them at any other uh, dulcimer Oh, that's camp. interesting. Yeah. Well, I like that. Hmm. Thought that was anyway, you're gonna have a blast, and right. I I would love to do that someday. Wait, wait, wait. Why? Why do you think that's true? I have. No Let's no assume idea. it's true. Why do you think it's true? Why? What's true? What? I assume Why it's the true. Dulcimer players there. Uh, <laughs> I've got no idea. Wait. Um, I know that uh, when I was when I first started playing uh, old time bluegrass music, I had friends in the area that were kind of like the young local up up-and-comers on uh banjo and guitar and fiddle and they would all they would go to to kaufman's camp and they would come back better musicians and i remember when i was 17 being like oh man i i wish i wish dulcimer was included oh, in a cool. program like this that was multi-instrumental i um, think it's really important the multi-instrumental part and i bet you right. if you just if you had a dulcimer and you just ended up going to kaufman camp as one of your first festivals you know or whatever mm-hmm. you probably would say this is an excellent experience you know and yeah i could see there being a group of people that it's like a neat little cabal <laughs> i don't yeah. know it's a neat idea i the the best festivals i think i mean it's kind of cool to have an all mountain thing but it's also mm-hmm. super cool especially for the instructors to have people teaching different instruments. Um, it's almost like it keeps everything, uh, it keeps, I don't know, it keeps the inbreeding down in a way, the musical <laughs> inbreeding, you know? It. I do know that it makes the concerts really awesome. Yeah, and the jams. Yeah. Like when I used to go to Swannanoa and Augusta and they would have all the different, you know, instruments represented it was so great every night to wander around and it was inspiring to see some of the best players on fiddle and banjo and mandolin and whistle and And all that stuff. There is a, from doing a Swannanoa Celtic week and, and doing, um, catching just a little bit of, uh, uh, the Kaufman camp concerts, uh, when Sarah was teaching and I just happened to be in the area there is a uh, there's a pretty big difference when a concert ends early enough um and you just see this this concert it's inspiring and i think some of that inspiration comes out in the jams yeah so at your festival that you're going to run um let's say you did a 5 day okay like here's my idea and i want to know your idea sure um let's say we got sunday night uh, through Friday night, S- Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's six nights. Sunday night. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and do it. Sunday night through Friday night. 
Not everybody stays Friday night. So the five main nights, one of them is a night off in town. Uh, three of them are concert nights. Mm-hmm. And the concerts run from 7 to 8.20, something like that each night. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm wanting to do. That's that's pretty much the Black Mountain Festival that Chuck runs yeah, in okay. October. Yeah. So what's your... Yeah, because... But the thing is, you know, it's not like we're complaining. If we're at a five-day no. event and there's 62 staff members or 81 staff members, you know, everybody wants mm-hmm. to do a concert. Yeah. Yes, I think yeah. it's nice that all festivals aren't the same as well. Yeah. However, I do wonder if we might be... If we might hurt something by trying to be too pure about it. Too pure about. Yeah. Well, another the, thing with the, the multi-instrument camp is uh, it's easier for performers to overlap. It's almost necessary sometimes, uh, not because of time, but for musicality. Oh, well, at a bluegrass like, camp, they're not a, there's not an expectation that every artist is going to be solo. Right. Because their their whole thing is yeah, but in our situation, often you like you, Aaron. You are definitely a group player, but I think of you as somebody who's been honing your solo performance. You know, that's one thing right. you're good at. Well, thanks. So Steve. to to force you to do a group, I don't like that idea either. No, but I'm saying for uh, for musicality's sake. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, if the the bluegrass banjo player is doing his set, he's probably it's unlikely he's going to do it solo at these right. camps in most cases. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. The and the like at uh Celtic week um uh John Doyle who's there mostly for rhythm. Yeah, he, he does do some singing, but he played with uh Martin Hayes and Kevin Crawford that had and to be cool. that their set on concert ended up being the Thing that started them as a band as a trio and they probably had some time to rehearse a little bit at the event i would imagine not too terribly much yeah. according to martin hayes okay. and uh he wasn't shy about sharing his opinions on how it went but it was also kind of cool in hearing him say yeah i didn't like at all how that turned out and i'm gonna talk to john about that oh that's funny <laughs> that, interesting yeah <laughs> i do think there's something that the audience experiences when the performers are actually experiencing at the same time. Right. You know, and cause you listen differently Yeah, and you can tell that they're playing differently. They're not mm-hmm. putting on a show. Mm-hmm. They're like, how are we going to do this? You know, and try to work it out. And, and that can also be an excuse for sloppiness. And I don't think you should do yeah, that. It's not a license. It's not a license to just yeah. play junk. You but, know, yeah. and I want to, if I've, <laughs> The truth is, I like to remind people of this from time to time. Uh, in many instances, the people that run these festivals, they work quite a bit all year, and they often oh, this end up... Isn't l- about, this isn't about that. I, no. I, I agree with what Aaron's saying right now. Yeah. This is not about that. Well, yeah, the yeah. fact that you haven't let me speak... <laughs> <laughs> this isn't about you, Steve. You I, I want to be the that. one to get the email that says, thank you, Aaron, for stopping that conversation. <laughs> no, right. my point is, uh, hang on. You're still going to make it. You pain in the butt. Listen, <laughs> gosh, does that mean we have to be, we're now no longer a G-rated? 
Um, no, but but's okay. I don't want to talk about it. Forget it. All right, then I've got a question for you. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Good evening. Oh, by the way, I want to let you know that I disagree with your what you're getting ready to say. Okay. Sorry, Brian. Steve disagrees with you. Uh, uh, good evening. This is from Brian. I just listened to your St. Patrick's podcast, and it struck me when Steve and Aaron were talking about Irish music that I am more musically illiterate than I realized. Aww. My question is, so what we. is the difference between a reel and a jig? Steve mentioned that he read a book on. Also, Steve read a, mentioned that he read a book on jam etiquette. What is the name of that book? Can you explain jam etiquette for those of us who have never attended a jam? Uh, Answer the first question first, please. Aaron. Difference between a jig and a reel. Reel and a jig. Reel and a jig. Okay. Well, the reel is going to be in four four time, one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and jig is going to likely be in six. There's a there are six, slip eight. jigs which are in nine. Um, but most jigs, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. Is there uh, a difference between, is there a rule regarding swing on those? Um, Sometimes reels appear to be swung, and I think that's when they get confused will, uh, with, with horn, jigs. With no, horn with pipes. horn pipes. Yeah. Um, depending on who you're talking to, I've heard <laughs> equally talented uh, and able Irish musicians uh, spout some strong opinions on this that were directly conflicting with each other. That's always so a then good that's, sign. Yeah, yeah, what do you think, Steve? I agree with Aaron. Sweet. <laughs> People disagree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can one of you guys give us an example of a reel that might sound like a hornpipe? Well, it, de- it depends on the amount that you swing anyway and i mean it's also true that some horn pipes end up being played depending on the speed end up being played more like reels uh so instead of that bouncy da 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 that almost sounds like something that's in three one da 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 if you speed that up fast enough and that uh that and beat uh isn't as swung mm-hmm. quite as much and it all starts to even out it ends up sounding more like a reel depending on who you're playing. I think the, the thing is a person, when it comes to playing like in something like two, four, one, well, no, 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 sorry. Like in four, four, Polka, where you've yeah. got a bunch of eighth note pairs, you ought to practice playing things. I don't just mean Irish music, but you ought to be good at playing straight and, and heavily swung and lightly swung. And you ought to be able to play. Well, I'm not saying it's like a moral thing, but it's good to know how to play something in all those different ways. And also when you're playing with people to be sensitive to what people are doing. I find when the tempos are high, it's a little harder for me sometimes to to tell how much swing is going on at first. But right. it's a good thing to, um, to deal with. And I think the, the blanket thing I tell people is that reels are often swung much less than a hornpipe. Steve, and sometimes reels I wish are you typically would, faster than a hornpipe. But I sometimes wish you would just take a stand and not be so wishy-washy on things. Dan, I'm not willing to pretend I got it all figured out like you, even though you wear this <laughs> mask of I don't really, I don't get it, dude. You know what you ought to read? It's a book by Thomas Paine called Common Sense. <laughs> but I, I, and what was the other question he yeah, said? Yeah, about... Uh, you mentioned that you read an etiquette jam book. Oh yeah, I, I think it's a good. Uh, it's let me find this real was quick. Was that was that part of the Gray Larson book? 
or uh, no? Uh, no. Okay. But I, I, I want to. I'm gonna. I'll find that. But um, if you get on, I mean, you can find stuff all over the internet about this. The main thing about jam etiquette, which you know, it's just people skills. You don't want to interrupt people. You don't want to be rude. Ooh, that's. I mean, I need th- to stop this podcast. <laughs> I know. I'm pretty good at being rude, but. Uh, Are I, you want I, another question? I think if you get online and search for jam etiquette, you'll find no end to the right. advice. I'm going to read you another question. You look it up while I'm doing this, okay? Nah, this I'm one, done uh, with that one. This one's for you guys. What is considered high action? How high above the last fret at the bridge? How high above the first fret at the nut? I also wanted to know. Well, let's let's do that one. So, Aaron came over yesterday to rehearse for a, a cool gig. We I th- hopefully it's a cool gig yeah. we have tomorrow. We're playing for three hours, uh, corporate thing, and he said, "Sorry, but I got to change the, the nut, the bridge, saddle. the saddle yeah. on my guitar." Mm-hmm. And you did that specifically because the action was wrong for what we're going to be for playing. what we're going to be playing. You want to talk yeah. about that? Yeah. So this was on on the guitar, by the way. Right. Yeah. Sure. So on my guitar, I usually have it set up for finger style and open tunings. I use a heavy heavier gauge string with very little relief in the neck uh, and low action. Um, uh, when I'm playing finger style, I tend to have a pretty light touch. I don't run into a whole lot of buzzing but it, as soon as you take a pick to it you just hear nothing but strings against frets um so knowing that i'm going to be playing rhythm guitar for a lot of this gig i want to raise the action up so i could dig in and play chords can you i'm not going to do the light stuff are you willing or is it good to talk about in this question he asked specifically about the two places how high do you guys have a, a measurement um, I don't know about at the nut, but uh, Steve, this seems like the kind of thing where you would have. I know I can barely specific. fit a nickel under the fourteenth fret on the bass side, which or is the really seventh low. fret or the the fourteenth fret. Yeah, you it's know, I've noticed about. there's some. The, that's a good. That's a. That's the kind of thing that people will latch onto. Yeah, well, <laughs> give I, me a nickel. I've nickel heard a lot of that. I don't fret. have a prescription for that. I think. I have noticed, Aaron, that um, I know less about that than I thought I did. But I think, I guess maybe it'd be nice if I could measure something down to the thousandths about what works for me. It'd be good for me to have that and be able to hand that to a repair guy or a setup guy. I just go to my guy, Dan Blom, and he kind of knows what I like. I'd call him and ask him what I like. Hey, Hey, ask Dan if he's related to John. John is Blom? A, John Blom, who is a tech. He's uh, Charlie Adams' drum tech. He was my dulcimer tech uh, when I was doing the touring stuff. And he's from Nashville, and I wonder if they're related. Hmm. Interesting. Hey, this book, so, I did just see this book, Field Guide okay. to the Irish Music Session. Field Guide to the Irish Music Session by Barry Foy. Uh, B-A-R-R-Y-F-O-Y. And it's short. It's a you can read it in one sitting. Uh, it is, um, you know, I think it's kind of it was fun. It it's a great little crash course in what's going on in Irish session, and it's written humorously, and uh, it, it might even be seen as a little bit um, elitist. But I think it it was a good little book. It's it's worth reading. 
Oh. Excellent. Uh, the yeah, as far as sessions go, at least in uh, Tallahassee, where I started sitting in on bluegrass and Irish sessions, uh, everyone would say that the uh, the big difference between Irish sessions and bluegrass sessions were uh, were that in um, Irish sessions there was plenty of drama between all the players, but no one talked about it. In the bluegrass sessions, there was a lot of drama, and everyone talked about it openly. <laughs> there were almost That's fights that happened in the bluegrass sessions, wow. and in the Irish, people would just grit their teeth <laughs> and <Interesting>. be upset. <laughs> all right, moving on. This this question is from Shana, and uh, I'm all the prologue to it. I'm going to skip and jump down to it and make it be generic. Her question is. What can I do with a beautiful instrument that I have that I know I'm growing out of while I wait for and dream of the day that I can have an instrument I can grow into? Well, and I me, think that's a pretty pretty common question. Somebody buys a first instrument, yeah, and they don't really know, right? You know, and they can't really afford to buy another one. So now they've got one oh, with some limitations, afford. and they can't. So, like, what kinds of things can they be working on on their not so great instrument? while they dream of and save for a great instrument. I've, and this hammer dulcimer or mountain dulcimer. I like to think that she, I hope she got a dulcimer that can be set up so somebody could adjust the action or. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe she could put 75 to 125 bucks into it. and But it might not be worth doing that to, you know, like this right. one. Had, yeah. Here's an Keep interesting going. thing for me yesterday. So I got I need to address just to say, just give me time at the end to address this on hammer dulcimer. But go ahead. Yeah. Uh, let me write that down. I need a pencil. I don't want to forget that. All right. Just go. I just wrote it down. Everything's good. Okay. <laughs> so I got a fish tank about six weeks ago. And I eventually got a few fish. And yesterday I realized I don't want these fish. <laughs> <laughs> and I... I, I I felt bad because I'd welcomed them into my life, and now I was like, dude, these are barely. Uh, these are not did, unlike cockroaches. They're just in fish them? form. Um, I just took them back to the store, and so one thing you might have to do when you get a dulcimer that you that's maybe not good for you. I can't is, wait to hear this. Is to get rid of it. No, Flushing I mean it. I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way, but yeah. um, I think you really, you got to find somebody who can tell you, hey, that you've actually got an okay dulcimer. You actually have a nice dulcimer. Or this thing just needs a little work and it'll be good. Or this thing's beyond a little work, you know. I think mm -hmm. it's good for her to find somebody that can touch the thing that's a decent player and give her an opinion on it. Uh, all right, let me let me present this a different way. Well, well I'm going to mention this person was talking specifically about a small hammer dulcimer versus a larger hammer dulcimer oh okay and so uh, I had it some, wasn't a mountain but i think it can apply for for her and i think tell me if this wouldn't apply let's say somebody buys some variation of a strum stick okay you know because it's inexpensive and they don't really so you know where i'm going with that okay. so they don't really have an instrument that's full on and it's maybe a little hard to fret and even a little hard to hold uh, on a smaller hammer dulcimer, my advice to her was, in some ways, it's better because it forces you to see, and it's easier to see, every potential possible shape. 
Oh, so you weren't saying it was screwed up. It's more that it just doesn't have those extra notes or whatever. Well, maybe it doesn't sound that great also. Yeah, okay. Yeah. A hammer dulcimer I, I, that doesn't sound that great. What to you is a hammer dulcimer that sounds kind of great? <coughs> what's the difference? Con- uh, seriously, what's the difference? Yeah, Aaron. Yeah, one that's in tune. Tunable. I think if they're in tune, you just made 80% of your your goal. Yeah, that's you, right. You just won the national contest. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not all completely tunable, which is right. a problem. And Yeah. So, yeah. So, that uh, that's it. But, but the shapes. What could she work on? But she was saying, what could she play? What, yeah. Well, it, I'm guessing what can she play, what can she work on that will benefit her when she gets her, when she eventually gets the new dulcimer. That's right. Anything you do in the middle of the instrument is going to translate it's just you have fewer keys if you're playing fewer keys that you can play in on the smaller one. There's a million but, things she could work on. Well, maybe not but, a million, but I feel like it's different from mountain dulcimer. Really? Well, wait. Let me let me finish yeah. this. The most important thing on hammer dulcimer is shapes. Okay. Because those, it gets a little hard to see some of the shapes on a big chromatic instrument because it okay. has some some added notes that don't really make sense with the overall white, black, black, white pattern. Okay. Kind of, they kind of do when you begin to see the bigger picture, but it's not easy to see that unless you've got a really good grasp on your basic shapes. Okay. Like from every position on that instrument, where is your major third? Where's your minor third? Where's your second? Where's your minor well, second? Well, she could be working where's on your... metronome skills and yeah. hammer well, patterns and all kinds of stuff. On the hammer dulcimer, you're... Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that you're going to be more or less oriented to the instrument the same way, uh, whether yes. you're playing a small instrument, a big instrument, a high end or a low end. That's right. Instrument. That's not going to be the case when you switch uh, from a strumstick to a mountain dulcimer, or no, that was yeah. From, those are two different things, almost kind of. Well, all right. right. So let's do it yeah, this way, or just even even from dulcimer. To dulcimer, if if it's a drastically different scale Scaling. length. Well, um, let's let's make it very drastically different. Someone knows that their son is interested in mountain dulcimer, and this is a good instrument, but it's not what you'd recommend anybody to start with. Somebody buys them an EDBD. Okay. So they get this soprano dulcimer, basically. It's a good a dulcimer. It's a good dulcimer. What should they do? But they can't afford another one for a while. Right. I would, I would they, love to just see them play and see how it's going for them, and maybe there's a lot they could do. And if we figured out that it was too small for them for some reason, then I would say sell it. Yeah. They could be working on memorizing chord shapes. All the intervals are going to be the same, but as far as technique, um, I don't feel like there's a whole lot of uh, carryover there like there is with hammered dulcimer. Really? Really? That's no, interesting. No. Oh, I was I actually talking Come on. talking to a student uh, yesterday who's talking about their different dulcimers. She likes the playability of this one, but she likes the sound of this other one. They're drastically different scale lengths. And, um, and I told her, I've got a few different dulcimers, but my philosophy is I like to have minimal translation. Uh, for my fingers when I go. Yeah. Dulcimer, yeah. Depending on the techniques I'm using. So, in other words, like my uh, my BD is a twenty five inch. That's the reason why I got the guitar scale band jammer. As well, I so see. That there's minimal trans translation. Well, and certainly, if and, your hands were bigger, that would change the the the, the 
variables that you're translating. Hey, I have totally normal sized hands, <laughs> Steve. Well, with tiny <laughs> hands, and I've you have tiny, tiny. No, you know people yeah. are. I'm we so tired of people here. showing me their hands and telling me their hands are small. People with big hands are constantly saying, "Look at my hands; they're too small." Yes, we all have small hands. No, but okay. On the dulcimer, I know we've talked about this before, but a 28 and a half inch string length and 25 are considered normal. There's not another instrument except for yeah, uh, right. long scale banjos, which are just a, a different beast entirely, um, uh, where you have that much variation in scale length. Is there a big difference the- between electric bass and upright bass, a full size upright bass? Yeah, but those are two different slightly different things. But still, yeah. I could see you'd have right. to get used to that if you sh- sh- changed to acoustic. Yeah, absolutely. The yeah, problem I mean, you're is as much as diff- uh, you're holding the instrument in a different way. Yeah, I know. See, and so yeah, uh, if you if you're going to oscillate between, or I'm going to jump back and forth between having this short scale dulcimer and this long scale dulcimer, you're going to have to make different technical choices. And I don't. I think because my hands are a little bigger, the mm-hmm. main thing that happens to me on the longer one is there's just there's just literally a few things. Well, maybe seven things, like maybe four chords and a few technical. There's just a very small group of things that I'm not going to do down on the wider frets. But really, yeah. for the most part, I'm playing the same on the longer one. Yeah, there's more of a stretch, but after like three to five days of playing it, I usually quit noticing. But I could see, I'm getting arthritis, I think, in, one, in my thumb mm-hmm. joint. I mean, I could just see things changing for me yeah. along those lines. Well, you, you, as, as far as choices go, I mean, you, you also, your playing style uh, leans pretty heavily on a pretty linear approach to the instrument. I think so. Yeah. Like, you, you have a few different zones that you work out of. Like, there is up high on the melody string, low on the melody string, straight across in first position. And then on the the uh, on the bass string to some extent, um, but you don't do a whole lot of diagonal shapes. You do, and I know you certainly can, but that's not what you tend to lean on mostly. I don't know about that. Okay, I think you said one time you liked what I play when I'm backstage more than what I play on stage, and I would agree with you. I think what happened. Wow. I think what happened was no. I uh, agree with you. I, I was I was talking about specifically what you played at this sound check on this occasion, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds awesome!" And I was like, really looking forward to you playing it in the concert, and you didn't. You did right. something else. No, I agree with it, you. Here's what what you did was good I, on this on this podcast. A nickel under the 14th fret, under the string of the 14th fret, and Seifert's better backstage than he is on stage. <laughs> Just want to get some stuff to go with. I don't know about that nickel business. I think, that, <laughs> I think the nickel is probably, most people say, over the 7th fret, and then over the right. 14th fret a little more. And then you got Gary Gallier, who no, likes that's, to... I'm saying that's my setup. Yeah. I can barely fit a nickel under the uh, bass string at the 14th fret. Do you feel that that limits your dynamic range more yeah. than you wish? Do you wish you had a greater dynamic range? Like, does the amplification... See, the problem is amplification should open back up dynamic range, but the problem is on mm-hmm. dulcimers, it seems like 
you know, getting really loud. I don't know. What's your thoughts on all that? I mean, I kind of... I kind of like the sound when I dig in that I hear a little bit of slap uh, yeah. against the strings on the fretboard. I, I like that a little bit, and I like that I still have the ability to play without that. Um, That's becomes your volume. your accent, your loud. Yeah, the slap. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a very loud player by by any means, which doesn't no. matter. Uh, yeah. But dynamic range is what I'm. You know, right. Mm-hmm. which I tend to play, we've talked about this before, I tend to mm-hmm. play too loud all the time because I play a quieter instrument in general, the dulcimer, you know. Uh, and I notice I have an electric dulcimer, and when I turn that thing up, sometimes I turn it up really loud, but I play super lightly, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this massive dynamic range you can... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I wonder if this translates to you guys. <clears throat> In practicing for this gig that we have tomorrow, we're going to be using amplification. So I've had my little Bose stick hooked Mm up. And I have to play differently, but it's not what I wish. I wish the playing differently when I'm amplified was that I got to play softer. But in order to get the right tone out of the instrument, sometimes I have to play harder. Right. Which I don't like that because it sounds so loud and there's a psychological aspect to it that you have to wrestle with for mm-hmm. a little bit and go, no, you just got to do this. Mm-hmm. Because the pickup doesn't respond right unless you're hitting it hard enough. That's interesting. Don't like that. Yeah. Hey, uh, speaking of dynamic range, the uh, that video on Facebook of me playing with the Vanderveer brothers, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not perfect, but it's kind of cool. It is powerful. One of the reasons it's powerful is because of the instruments on which we're playing. We're using David Lindsay, these big David Lindsay instruments with almost no sustain, even down low. <clears throat> and there's, it allowed three of us to all be just hammering away, playing a lot of stuff, and still be able to hear individual notes. So uh, as much as you hear me talk about my personal preference towards a piano-like tone for like a lot of the stuff that you and I were doing, mm-hmm. uh, Aaron and I have been working on, that, those instruments in that kind of a setting are killer good. I mean, that yeah. was so crazy. I wish I had the space and the money and all that to, to have one of those because there's something about, not that your goal when you perform is to get the audience excited, but kind of it is. I mean, that's part of what performing is about no, is yeah. to share Share well, something with the audience. If they're and excited, can, there's a good chance you are. And ha, you know. That's that's true. Yeah. And on I'm not going to mention instrument names, but on my most beautiful, lush-sounding instruments, I've sometimes had the hardest time getting the audience excited. Uh, I, I can make them say, wow, that was pretty. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you want something else. You right. know the drums on uh, the Led Zeppelin albums where it's they're just huge sounding? Yeah. Um, that, and also what, the George Winston on piano on the album December. This really, yeah. you know, I I want to have both sides of that in my playing as best I can. And have you noticed on the George Winston though how much of the hammer thwack they leave in those recordings? I think you hear more of the box. I mean, yeah. he, he it's almost approaching extended techniques, but anyway. I just, I love, 
I I want you. To, you guys are going to pick on me. I have been learning to play on, with my feet lately. <laughs> what have you been doing? I'm getting better. Uh, no, but what have you been doing with your feet? What uh, are you playing? Mostly roots and and fifths. On mountain dulcimer? No. Okay. <laughs> but I'm really excited about this. So what have you been? What is the thing that you've been playing with your feet? I don't. I'm not ready to let it out there yet. I know oh. what it is. Weird. But stuff. listen, dude. It's made by Keith McMillan. I bet. Nope. At first, did you buy one of the old Roland ones? Okay, I got a a Korg MPK one thirty. Oh, That's right. Yes, oh. I, I used so, to have one of those under my hammer dulcimer when serious? I street performed. Yeah, absolutely. What? Yeah, because I was trying to do bass lines and and I would okay. also put percussion instruments on them. Well, you can use one key. Like I could use the high C to just trigger a track or something. You know. You know why I didn't? Why I stopped doing it? Why? They're so heavy. This thing is heavy, but you know one of the good things about it is it's so heavy because it okay. doesn't move. Right? So, yeah. so I don't know. I don't know. I've never used one of these before in my life. Can you tell me about it a little bit? Okay. Well, here's the deal. And I thought of you a lot yesterday, Aaron, because one time we had a conversation where I was telling you how much part of the hobby for me of dulcimer. I mean, there's the me that's a professional dulcimer player, but. There's also the hobby part, which really was the root of everything. I really liked the idea that I was developing something on an instrument, you know, that right. I was coming up with something new, mm-hmm. uh, even if in little ways. And, you know, and we we talked about this one time. Well, it's not that's not a big deal to everybody. But for me, for some reason, it's exciting. It's an adventurous kind of thing. It's like being an explorer. Mm-hmm. And I know there's more things to be explored, but lately I've felt a little bit bankrupt in that area. And really? for me, playing this thing with my feet, that's kind of what this has come out of is I don't care how weird it is. I want to see if I can get good at this. The thing that I've discovered technique wise, because I've been playing with a pipe organist <laughs> and we're going to uh-huh. be uh, we're going to be at a church near Columbia University um, in New York City, which is awesome. But it's dulcimer and pipe organ. But I've watched her feet. Uh, when she, her feet hang over these foot pedals, she's up higher above them, you know. And that makes a huge difference, Dan, when mm-hmm. your feet are above. Because right now, if I'm standing or sitting in a chair, it's still awkward on the feet. So I'm figuring out there's got to be some way for me to get. But I'm going to look like a weirdo up in some well, chair. You know what? Steve, go online. Who makes it? Uh, it's either K&M or... Oh, it's, I can't think what the name of the company is. What is There's it? a... Uh, look, at, look at your favorite music store. There's a throne that is black and heavy, and it has a place to rest your feet on when you aren't having them dangling doing something like that. And it's a a throne. I mean, it, it would probably be under drummers' stuff. So, uh, like a, a Sweetwater like or something, like a Sweetwater or something. And it's uh, I just saw one this weekend. Sometimes people use them if they want to sit and play bass. And so it's, it's got it's, a, there's like a little shelf for your heels or something. There's a little oh. shelf for your feet, and it's got a it's got a solid black 
seat that's a square and a black back and the back goes up or down and the whole thing moves up and down a pole it almost looks like if it didn't have the seat on it like a keyboard rig would this be under drum hardware yeah drum thrones i didn't know they called them thrones yep yeah anyway you might want to look at what something like that that might be your answer because they don't look goofy on stage they look kind of cool okay cool and And it gives you something find it yeah, there's a there's a whole bunch of normal looking thrones, but this thing it's the only one like it. It has the thing to put your feet on at the bottom. All right, I, we got to find that. Yeah, and, and the other thing that's gonna screw the world up is um, I've got a drum set coming uh, <laughs> I'll, that I'll be picking up at the beginning of July. Nice. Well, here's Poor the fish. idea. Poor fish. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I believe that if I get better, you know, I've always liked to study rhythm. And I think this, I went and took a drum lesson the other day, and this guy really opened my mind up. And it's not that I'm wanting to become a drummer, but I I just feel like it'll help me be a better musician. And I, I was ordered- telling the guy, I was hoping it would be help me lose weight, and he was like, uh, no. <laughs> He's like, doesn't not work good like at that. It. I just ordered an MRI uh, because they're falling out of fashion since people are using fMRIs, and so you can get them. Is used that by to... Roland or Yamaha? Yeah, no, it's a magnetic resonance imaging scanner. Yeah, just because I'm kind of into that right now. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> I made my own ice. <laughs> you made your yeah, whatever. You guys are <laughs> warthogs. Yeah. Hey, boys. Hey, can, can I actually throw something out at you guys? I wish you would, because Dan's uh, getting ready to try to wrap this up. I am. I, I know, I and, am. We, and we can wrap it up. We can jump into this next time. Oh, uh, what is but it? I just wanted to throw it out to you guys to think about. So, as I was saying before about Kaufman's camp. Um, I love coffee. Co- yeah. <coughs> so <laughs> Kaufman's camp. So, at these acoustic camps, you've got four guitar You've got flat pick, you've got finger style, and they're also split by genre as well. And a lot of times when you're when you're learning, uh, whether it's violin or fiddle or guitar or banjo, whether it's claw hammer or bluegrass, you're setting off in a certain direction. In other words, you're not going to start learning how to play claw hammer banjo with finger picks. Right. Right. You you choose a path. Right. On dulcimer, for the most part, from what I've seen in beginner classes and beginner books, it's kind of all one path. Uh, uh-huh. Well, um, except for what you end up doing on your own, maybe at the higher levels or something. Right. But as far as instruction, someone's introduction to the mountain dulcimer. It's probably going to be dulcimer flat on your lap um, in a certain tuning. And I think that's where as I see students go down the line and they hear some different information why someone uses this approach uh, over another. They're, they're prone to saying, I learned some bad habits up front. Yeah. But those weren't really bad habits. Those were just habits that fit the music they were playing. I think that's a good on. point. Often that's the case, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this has got me thinking about kind of rethinking about teaching Dulcimer and that if someone wants to go down the, the path of finger picking or being primarily flat picking or a traditional player, 
they should probably start from a slightly different place. I, well, and the more we specialize, the fewer people show up for our class too. Sometimes it could go the other way though. Right. I think, I think a lot of festivals, you're going to be a generalist in what you're presenting with. Mm -hmm. And you know, and occasionally, like, I mean, it's not unusual for me to do beginner intermediate advanced at KMW and then maybe Mm -hmm. do a flat picking class, you know, advanced Mm -hmm. four string equidistant. But most of the time, we don't get to specialize that much. Sure. So I'll throw in a a wild guess out there. Uh-oh. Um, I could I could be totally wrong, but I think this approach tends to tends to confuse and hold students back more than it helps. Yeah. Yeah. What approach? The sort of general. Uh, this is where you start without saying you might alter this. You might want to alter this if you go in this one direction. You know what I like about this? What's that? Is people are going to be mad at Aaron for once. I'm totally, <laughs> Rather than me and Steve. Cause the thing is, so, well, I start no, off by saying. There's nothing wrong with this. Yeah. Oh, wait, this we, we a, this have not even wild. started to unpack this yet, yeah. though. Well, here's the thing. No. I started by saying I might be wrong. This is a wild guess. And I'm totally fine with being wrong. But I would. If someone started with a classical uh, guitar teacher, for example, and then got into, then found bluegrass flat picking, they're likely to want a different instrument. They're likely to hold the instrument in a different way and work on a different set of principles. That's right. And I think it would be a shame for them to, to approach this going, oh, I learned some bad habits up front. Oh, that's interesting. No, that's not the case. You started on something... So that was that had you going in a different direction. It just first. it has a lot to and do with the direction. And that's not to say that that's not in. that's not to say that you have to stick in that one direction. There are plenty of great instrumentalists that play other instruments that like guitar that might uh, be great classical musicians and also great uh, flat pick guitar players. I know David Grisman has worked with quite a few guitar players that fit that bill. Um, but I think that it's also healthy to understand the basis for your technique and what the goals are, depending on the music you're trying to execute. I think when you're learning from somebody, it's good to identify what you think their goals might be. You mm-hmm. know? Um, it's so yeah. funny when we get obsessive about this stuff and we're like, what's super important is that your thumb, a very important no. thing. I mean, sometimes I think we... I, I think it's good to have an opportunity to be more serious about this stuff, but other times there's uh-huh. there's some teachers who they're taking more of a low pressure approach. They're not really No, I, I I don't think that this is high pressure necessarily, but what I would the thing that I run into very often and I'm sure you do too is confusion about this. And I would love to figure out some sort of system to take that confusion away from a lot of students because it's really prevalent. The confusion right. about the confusion about thinking that you've learned some bad habits when it really you just were grabbing techniques from an alternate path. Listen, yeah. listen. Mm-hmm. We're let's almost done. Fi- we can wrap this L- up. Let's take this fish back to the store and we'll bring him back out again. Nobody's going to listen to this if we do it on the next podcast. It, everyone's going to email Dan and be like, hey, that, everybody's going to be like, oh gosh, I gotta, who knows when their next one's going to come out and I got to skip <laughs> no. it now. <laughs> Actually, I've got to run. I've got a student. You have a student coming. coming. That's right. And today, uh, Barrett is matriculating. Is that like mandibulating? 
It's it's very it's very similar to. Uh, I forget uh, what matriculate mas- means. Mastication. I'll look it up. Steve's so, looking just it Just in up. case you've forgotten what it means, it means to be enrolled at a college or university, or to uh, record your firearm with an official register. Really? I didn't know that part of it. That's that- interesting. Wow. Anyway, he's he's. Uh, it's the last day of preschool. He's nice. not taking a gun to school. <laughs> what is this? In Tennessee, you can do that. <laughs> no, listen. Okay. Let's get back to the first. Uh, so he's going to school. What? Well, today's his last day of school. Oh, he, he'll be he'll be getting set up for the next class today. So nice. So I got to scoot. All all right. Right. We all have things. Hey. We can continue this, I think. Cool. Yeah, I want to. I'm not even going to say. I have several questions. Not just about the subject as you opened it, but about the teacher's needs and the student's needs and trying right. to identify those needs. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think we might be onto something that could help us all. I think it's really important that we think about each other's needs. What is this thing you're doing at the end? Are you, are you at some. Are you using some online generator for just nonsense? When I'm around you, it comes out of me. It just comes out of me. Okay. Now well, take us da- out, Steve. When Aaron and I, if it's just me and Aaron, it's different. It's a different yeah, dynamic. It never gets weird. No. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe that. All right. Bye, boys. I love you. Goodbye. See ya. All right, so here's what I think. <laughs> <laughs>